Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to be together this morning. Um, I need to start this sermon with an apology. Um, At Youth on Friday, we played a ginormous Easter egg hunt game, and Pastor Tash this morning came with a handful of undiscovered eggs that were not found on Friday. And so if you find some eggs around the place, that's where that's from. And so I just need to issue an apology on behalf of the youth who did not find all of the eggs on Friday. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here this morning. I'm so excited to open up the Word and begin our new Easter series, which we've called Immeasurable. It was going to be called Insurmountable. What was it going to be called? Dan can't say it, and so we had to change the word to immeasurable. But but it's immeasurable, and we're going to go with it, and it's going to be great. (laughs) I wonder if anyone has seen one of these before. Mm? This was, this is like so far past the youth, they wouldn't even know what this is. Um, This is the turn of the century brick phone. It was um, given to me when I was 10 years old by my mum. It basically sent text messages and received phone calls. That's literally all it did. But it also had this really cool game called Snake. Does anyone remember Snake? I, I actually don't even remember what you played or how you... I think you tried to eat things to make the snake longer and, you know, however long it got, you won the game. Um, but it had a very basic function. And when I turned 16, going into high school, I really put my foot down and I said to my mum, no the iPhone 4's just come out, and I need it. Like, I need it for, like, if nothing else, my social status at school if I keep pulling out this brick phone. So I convinced my mum, and come Christmas, I got it. And it was $200. It's, like, over over $1,000 now. It's insane. But all of a sudden, my world flipped when I got this new phone. I went from only really being able to play Snake to all of a sudden Candy Crush and Temple Run, and Angry Birds, and I still do play Candy Crush. Isolation was not a good time. Um, All of a sudden, you were just texting and calling people, and now there was such a thing as FaceTime, and you could see people when you're calling them. I went from this sort of 2D sort of pixel screen to something that had a camera in it, and you could, like, store the photos in something called an album on your phone. And this beepy sort of one-toned ringtone all of a sudden went to having, like, music on my phone. It completely turned my world upside down. And I think for a lot of us, we have these experiences in life where it does seem like our world's been turned upside down. And there can be really great and positive and joyful things that can do that. But in the same breath, there can also be some really hard and challenging things that cause us to feel as though our world's been flipped upside down. You know, when Jacob and I got married almost six months ago, that flipped my world upside down. Living with a man for the first time is... That was brand new to me. And the toilet seat does get left up, I will say. I thought it was just a joke, but it's true. Um, My parents divorcing, though, and me and my family having to migrate from America also flipped my world upside down. I had to start this whole new life. 
as a four-year-old away from my dad and really not actually having him in my life anymore. And so in your life, I wonder where you may have experienced an event or a season where it felt like your world just got flipped completely on its heels and completely upside down. In youth this term, this has been an idea and a concept that we've been thinking through and journeying through as we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, newsflash, like Jesus turned the world upside down when he came through his life and his ministry and the way that he taught us to love one another, to lay down our life for one another and to value others above all else. That actually was groundbreaking to the culture, to the social tensions, to the political tensions of the time, that turned everything upside down. But as we come to understand now, through his resurrection, he was actually making the world right side up through the eyes of God. And so I'm hoping to use a little bit of this sort of journey that we've gone through in youth to apply to our understanding of Palm Sunday this morning, because in reality... Palm Sunday flipped the world upside down. And I pray that we have fresh eyes this morning as we see the way that Jesus did this as he came to his people, as he embodied humility where so many other kings of the time would embody rage and war and power to wield for their own desires. And finally, we're going to look at this sort of application, I suppose, and this idea of actually, is this king that walked into Jerusalem on a donkey, is he your king this morning? So would you pray with me before we open up the word today and learn? King Jesus, we are so grateful to be in your presence and we are so grateful to have sung Hosanna this morning as we remember and as we look to learn from what we can from your arrival into Jerusalem. I pray, Lord, that you would give us fresh eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see your triumphant entry into Jerusalem in a completely different way this morning. Would you remove our distractions? Would you remove the things that are trying to grasp our attention, Lord? And may we firmly seat you in your throne this morning as we look for you and as we hear from you. And so, Lord, would you bless this time and would you anoint this time in your presence? And I ask, Lord, that the words that are spoken would be from you and for you and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be reading about Palm Sunday through um, John's Gospel. Palm Sunday is one of those really important events, and so it's in each and every one of the Gospels, but we're going to be looking at it through John's perspective. So in John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19, comes our reading. A little bit of context, the very first verse starts the next day, the day before Jesus was having dinner with Lazarus and his friends and Mary and Martha. So he's had dinner, and the next day, the great crowd of of people that had come for the festival, which was the Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples, they just didn't understand all this. And it was only after Jesus was glorified that they realized that these things had been written about him and were done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus 
Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and had raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that the sign he had performed, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. So this reading comes at the very start of what would be Passion Week, that a lot of people refer this time from Palm Sunday through to Good Friday. And this last week, I suppose, of Jesus' life takes up a huge portion of the Gospels. And I did a little bit of maths. If you count up all of the chapters from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, there are 89 chapters. And 30 of these 89 chapters are all about the last week of Jesus' life. It's really important. It's two-fifths of, gospel, of, the, of Matthew's Gospel that is all about the last week of Jesus' life. Three-fifths of all of Mark about Jesus' last week of his life. A third of Luke and half of John is all about this last week of Jesus' life. And so it's pretty clear that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John want us to pay attention to what is happening. And not just for our own benefit, but to actually understand what's going on here because Palm Sunday is a very significant holiday in the Jewish people that Jesus was a part of. And we read it in the text, John is referring to the festival which was Passover and it's a, a real cornerstone of the Jewish faith, and it dates all the way back to when the um, Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And we read about that story in Moses where all the horrible plagues come upon, upon the Egyptian, and God says to Moses to take a lamb, to slaughter it, to put the blood on the linen post, and so you will be spared from the last plague. And so the Jewish people have taken this and practiced this every year, to remember the faithfulness of God, to remember the immeasurable love of God that saved them from bondage and brought them into the promised land. And it's really, I've already said it, it's very important for us to understand the cultural, the social and the political platform that this brings and it actually helps us to understand what is really going on on Palm Sunday. Now, we obviously call this day Palm Sunday, but in the Jewish calendar, this day is referred to as the 10th day of Nisan. And Nisan is what we call the month of April, so the 10th day of April. And on this day, the Jewish families would select an unblemished lamb that on the 14th day, which is what we call Good Friday, would be sacrificed at Passover. It is very interesting that on this day, when the unblemished lamb would be selected, that Jesus presents himself to Jerusalem. Very interesting that Jesus presents himself as the spotless lamb to the people of Jerusalem. And so this controversial teacher, rabbi, miracle worker, prophet, whatever the people were calling Jesus, he was controversial and he had already upset the religious order in place at the time, and he chooses to enter into the traditional place where God's holy presence was found. And that challenged, that challenged the religious order that Jesus had sort of maybe subtly and then in other ways very not so subtly 
pushed up against throughout his whole ministry. And there's a lot of different references that we can call on to think on how Jesus has rebuked the Pharisees in the past, the harsh words that he said against the religious order at the past, in, during the past. And Matthew 23 is one that comes to mind for me, and it's where Jesus is basically calling out the Pharisees as hypocrites. And he's saying, woe to you hypocrites, woe to you hypocrites. He's calling them blind fools and blind guides. They're lawless, snakes and brood of vipers. This is what Jesus has to say to the religious folk at the time. And this is a powerful statement that Jesus is making as he's presenting himself to Jerusalem, how he is about to flip this totally upside down. Because Jesus comes to replace that legalistic, doing things for the sake of doing things because we have to do it to justify ourselves. He's flipping that to become a life of discipleship with the Father. He's flipping these sort of practices of ritual forgiveness where you have to sacrifice and atone and sacrifice and atone constantly. He's flipping that to a complete and a total forgiveness and real healing that the Father can offer to us through Jesus. And instead of seeing the presence of God confined behind the curtain at the temple, instead Jesus comes to tear that temple down and to allow each and every one of us a very personal relationship with God. That's good news, isn't it, how Jesus comes to flip that upside down. And so many people, through hearing Jesus' teachings, have had their life absolutely transformed by the things that he's saying of what this kingdom could be and what Jesus is bringing. And so, of course, they're crying out, Hosanna. They're crying out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna doesn't just mean save, by the way. It means save now. There's an urgency to what they're saying. The people are crying out, Jesus, save us now. Because Jesus is coming to relieve us from the stagnantness that religiosity can brew and to free us from the bonds that sometimes that can place on us. And it's an immeasurably wonderful life with God. That's not through human achievement that all of this religiosity would say, but it's actually through the living king and the living kingdom is that, again, not good news? Isn't Jesus himself more appealing than the sort of divisive and the outward nature that religiosity becomes in the hands of very imperfect humans? And Jesus turned the world upside down on Palm Sunday when he became more appealing than religion. Because suddenly it becomes all about what Jesus can do in and through you, not about how you can justify yourself without Jesus. And so just a little piece of wisdom as I was thinking on this. I've worked in a workplace in the hospital for many years where I was the only Christian. A lot of people ask me about my faith. A lot of people ask me about Jesus. My one piece of wisdom, when people ask you about your faith, start with Jesus. Start with Jesus and not religion. Because sometimes where religion in the hands of very broken humans can hurt people, Jesus will not do that. He is good news and he is immeasurably in love with us. Start with Jesus when you share your faith. 
to the blind and to the needy and to the disabled and to the broken and to the unlovely of the Jewish culture. This is good news that Jesus invites those people in. But we also read that the Pharisees were basically saying to Jesus, stop them, stop, stop them saying these things. Because to the Pharisees and to the people who felt as though they had found their righteousness in their positions, this was not good news. People who had found their positions, such as Pharisees and scribes, in this sort of religious puffed-upness, people who were male, who were wealthy, who were not impoverished, who were not sick, who were not covered in leprosy, who were not outcasted, this king threatened their system. It threatened their status and their position that they found through their own practices. Jesus was not the king that they expected and he was not the king that they wanted to see because Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble king and he humbly comes to his kingdom. And so ever since this exile, you know, the Jewish people have constantly found themselves displaced in exile and we read all the way back in the Old Testament during the Babylonian exile, that the prophets ever since then have been writing of this kind of Messiah that would come, this one who would bring the day of the Lord, who would bring deliverance from Israel's enemy and who would bring in an eternal and a forever reign of God. And we know throughout history, even now, the political tension that exists in the land of Jerusalem, that it is a complex landscape. There are many power struggles over this land And we also know through reading the Gospels that it was the Romans who occupied this land in Jesus' time. And that brewed a lot of discontent. And so the desire of the people was that this king would overthrow those Romans, would bring victory to Jerusalem. And in all of this, the expectations became that Jesus would look like a powerful warrior, riding in on some big war horse and declaring victory over Jerusalem. Is that what happened? No. We see instead the Lamb of God sort of waddling in on a donkey. And not even a fully grown donkey, a small donkey. And not even one that had been ridden before, an unbroken colt's donkey. Donkey of a colt. Colt's donkey? Little donkey. (laughs) Meek donkeys and strong horses mean very different things, and they look very different, don't they? You know, these large, strong horses were a sign of military power. They were a sign of war and seen in times of great battles throughout history. And the king's horse would be the biggest horse, bigger than the average horse, bigger than a war horse. The king's horse would be ginormous. You would have to look up at a king on a war horse. But donkeys, they are not big. Instead, they have been long-standing symbols of peace. And they were used by kings during peace talks and in treaty talks. They were very non-threatening. They looked non-threatening and they were non-threatening. But in all of this, Jesus didn't just randomly decide to go in on a donkey. Jesus is humbling himself showing us the kind of humility that has been talked about in, our, in Zachariah's prophecy, 
in Zechariah 9, chapter 9, that John quotes in the scripture we just read, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so just like Jesus challenged the religious order of the time, we now see Jesus beginning to challenge the imagination of the people, beginning to challenge what kind of king God could look like, what kind of king God would be. And so Jesus' arrival again turns the world upside down when humility takes the place of pride, when a donkey takes the place of a horse and then ultimately where the cross takes the place of a throne. It's a very tense moment. I wonder if you could think about it for just a second. It is hot. It's the Middle East. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. There are thousands upon thousands of people crowding around, trying to push their way through to throw their cloak on the ground for King Jesus to walk past. They are grabbing punches, throwing them up and down, probably hitting people in the process, getting a palm in your eye every now and again. There, are, there is excitement. There is enthusiasm. But... There are Pharisees just in the back, just watching, and they're angry, and they're tense. There's a lot of emotions swirling that sometimes we miss when we read Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. There are a lot of emotions swirling around. But I wonder, what is Jesus' emotion in this moment? We need to look at Luke's recount of Palm Sunday to get a little bit more of a grasp of Jesus' reaction. When the city came into view, this is from Luke 19, verse 41, he wept over it. If only you had recognised this day and everything that was good for you. It's with tears that Jesus enters Jerusalem. And N.T. Wright, who is a wonderful theologian of our time, when thinking on and preaching on Palm Sunday, writes this. He was not the king that they expected. Not like the monarchs of old who sat on their jeweled and ivory thrones, just dispensing their justice and wisdom. Nor was he the great warrior-like king that some had wanted. He didn't raise an army and he didn't ride to battle at its head. Instead, he was riding on a donkey and he was weeping weeping for the dream that had to die, weeping for the sword that would pierce his supporter's soul, weeping for the kingdom that wasn't coming, as well as the kingdom that was coming. For Jesus, immeasurable humility led to immeasurable love. And this idea that Jesus wept has been so powerful in the generations that have passed to know that we serve a king who did weep, that we have a saviour who did break down and cry. How many times do we read of Jesus weeping in the Bible? Anyone know? Twice. Once when his friend Lazarus had died, once when he was riding to Jerusalem. Again, it's very interesting that the two times we see Jesus cry, it's over humanity. Now, I'm sure he wept a lot more than that. He was human in some ways after all. But we read, documented in history, that Jesus wept twice over us. Is that not love? Is that not immeasurable love? 
that the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, supreme God over all creation would weep, would weep over us, the immeasurable love of God, that he would take on flesh and give his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Good news. It's good news. That before Jesus was tortured, before he was betrayed, before he suffered, before he died, he wept. But still, he showed up on Palm Sunday. Knowing all that would befall him, knowing all that was yet to come, Jesus still showed up, tears in his eyes, walking towards his beloved Jerusalem. Weeping. Weeping. These people one minute yelling out Hosanna, the next minute yelling out crucify him. The love of God for those who would betray him is absolutely immeasurable. And I wonder if this kind of God, this Jesus, is your king this morning. Is he your king this morning? Not just a king you talk about, not just a king you think about, but a king that you are in relationship with, a king that you know, a king that knows you. And so I wonder where you might fit in this story. I wonder where you might find yourself in this story. Have you ever heard of this king that comes walking to a city on a donkey before? Is this the first time you've heard of this king? If it is, then welcome. It's a good story and it gets even better. Come on Easter, Friday and Saturday, and Sunday, and you'll see the story gets even better. Have you experienced this new upside-down way of life where these religious burdens are torn down by Jesus and he replaces them with true relationship, where he justifies and we don't? where he sacrifices and we obey, where he loves and where we love to the best ability that we can when we think on his immeasurable love. I wonder if you've accepted the upside-down way that Jesus rules and understands and, and shepherds his kingdom where might replaces, where might is replaced with mercy and where strength looks like humility. I wonder if you've known the immeasurable love that this king has for you personally, that he weeps over you as he willingly goes to the cross. You know, there's a real invitation here this morning to actually participate in the story of Palm Sunday, this 10th day of Nisan, where we don't just sit in the motions that sometimes, for lack of a better word, religion in the hands of humans might allow, where we just think we know the story, we're busy, we've got an Easter egg hunt coming out, we've got lunch to plan, we've got to meet our families. There's a real invitation this morning to actually sit and to actually hear and to actually see a king that comes on a donkey feet probably dragging on the ground because it's not even a fully grown donkey. He comes lowly looking 
so that you can easily see him. You don't have to go position yourself high up to try and find him. He meets you and he meets me and he meets us as Ross Trevor Baptist Church, where we are. I wonder if perhaps you need to sit in this moment and remember the humility of Jesus. Know that he is a humble God. Know that he is a good God. And just remember the way that he reigns. Just remember the way that he reigns and rules his kingdom. Because ultimately, that leads to a deep knowledge and a deep relationship with God where you can know the immeasurable love of God and where I can know the immeasurable love of God and where we can talk about that with one another. And so I wonder this morning, would you stand with me as we close up and as I pray? Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for the way that you turn things upside down. However uncomfortable and challenging that can seem, how sometimes that forces us to have a good hard look at the way we live life and the way that we do things. Ultimately, Lord, we know that you are a refining kind of king. You are a loving kind of king and a humble kind of king. And so I pray, Lord, that you would meet us with your humility here today. For the burdens that we've brought in, for the practices that we cling on to so much to seem to justify ourselves before you, God, would you meet us with our humility because we don't get it right all the time and we are in need of a saviour. Help us to see King Jesus gloriously and triumphantly walking in, not just to Jerusalem, but walking into all of our lives as well. May we meet you and greet you with the same Hosanna that these people cried out, knowing, Lord, that you do save us not in a temporary sense, but in an eternal sense. And we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord this morning. We honour you and we give you all the glory. And we do say hail to King Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.